Well, we've been in a, a, a topical sermon series uh, just with the whole transition from Rockford Christian High School here to our new church home. And I've um, been just addressing several things, several matters as we are growing up as a church. I mean, first, of course, now that we're in a building, we have a, a place of our own. I spoke, I'm not sure what it is, four weeks ago, five weeks ago, about how we're growing up in a facility. And my hope and prayer and, and dream is that God would use this place greatly for His glory. Uh, second, we looked at the fact that there are several men waiting in the wings to be confirmed the leadership of Rock Valley Bible Church, and in that way we're growing up. Uh, three weeks ago, we looked at how um, we are, are growing up into some kind of legacy for the next generation. And I just called us even to think about what we are leaving Challenge us really to think about what, what we will leave. And my, my hope and prayer is that our labors will far outlive us and far outlast us and go way beyond anything that, that we do. Uh, last week then, just in light of Christmas, we looked at this idea of growing up in Christ. And we ought always to be those who are growing up in, in adoration of Jesus. We ought never to stop growing in those ways. Well, this is our fifth week. And I do believe this will be our final week kind of in this series. And next Sunday, I figured it's the beginning of the new year, a great time to look at faith in Hebrews chapter 11. We'll pick up again verse by verse going through chapter 11 um, to finish the epistle uh, to the Hebrews. It's going to be great for us to really think about the hall of faith to begin with. Um, but this morning, I have one more way in which we are growing up. But this, really, this morning, it's a way we ought to grow up. Some of you may think about your children and as they grow up and mature, maybe they're not growing up and maturing it quite as fast as you would like them to do so. And so you tell them, "Would you? You, know, you just need to grow up. You need to grow into responsibilities. And um, that's really what we're looking at today. It's just an opportunity for us to really grow up in our responsibilities or the things that we can do. This morning I'm addressing the issue of outreach. And uh, my challenge to all of us is that we would grow in our outreach that is particularly to non-Christians. And I think about Rock Valley Bible Church, I do think this is one of our weaknesses. I think we're strong in doctrine, we're strong in teaching, uh, we're strong in fellowship, we're strong in commitment to serve Christ, holiness in the homes and the families. I think all those things are strengths. I believe we are weak, though, when it comes to outreach. Not that we're perfect in the other things, but if you, if you measure up, I do believe that um, one of our, our weaknesses is the matter of, of outreach. It's a struggle for all of us. I know it's a struggle for me. And my guess is it's a struggle for you. I do know there are some who particularly I am very encouraged with. The outreach they do it, uh, just in their own lives. Um, like Karen Aluni, I'm really encouraged by the way you just reach out to people and love people. I'm just refreshed by that. Uh, also, the WeTech family, I'm encouraged by your heart for the lost um, uh, you know, would you mind, Tom, just kind of standing up and just sharing a little bit about what you do? I know you, I didn't even talk to you about this, but I'm thinking, you know what? I just want to, I just want us to catch a wave of something you've done. So go ahead. And a lot of you, I, I don't even think you know this, but it's just encouraging my heart what you've done. So go ahead.
Well, let, let, let me help a little bit with that. What you've done is you started your house and you've kind of, you're growing in an ever-increasing circle around your house. And... So about every home within a mile and a half radius. How many have you passed out? Any idea? Four thousand. Wonderful. That's just. I just. I just want us to. You know, we we need that kind of testimony to encourage us on and uh, just. Um, you know, just the the truth of God going in all those places. I'm I'm thrilled with that. I'm encouraged by that. I'm challenged by that. Uh, and I trust you all are as well. And, and my hope and prayer for my message this morning. My aim is really that we would increase in our heart for loss, would increase in our outreach, would increase in uh, just um, having a heart for those without Christ and on their way to a Christless eternity. So appropriately, my message this morning is entitled, Growing Up in Outreach. My text, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5-7. through 7. And like this whole series, you know, I'm not going to really focus so much upon really expositing these verses, though I'll get into that, but more using these verses to kind of launch some thoughts. I want to read, uh, for the completeness sake, I'll read all the way through verse 9. 1 Corinthians 3, 5-9. through 9. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything But God who causes the growth, I'd like to put in here, is everything. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Let's pray. Father, I would pray that you would do something to us here in this room this morning, right now at this moment to give us a, a stirring in your heart, in our hearts, um, to line up with your heart, to, to seek to be salt and light to a world which is lost and perishing. Give us a heart to do what we can do, to, to spread the message of the Gospel. And, and I think even for us, especially just with a new building and a new place and a fresh start, I pray that you would stir in our hearts um, just an encouraging way to start afresh or start new just in some way to extend your glory. God, we enjoy your grace so much here at Rock Valley Bible Church. Help us to extend your glory. So work in us now, O Lord, I pray for my message this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I have three observations this morning, one from each verse. My first comes from verse 5. Here's my observation, that we are servants of the Gospel. We are servants of the Gospel. In verse 5 we read, What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Now with these words, we do enter deep into Paul's argument in the epistle of the Corinthians. It's really a rebuke. Back in chapter 1, Paul began his rebuke to those in Corinth because they were being divided. And they said, this isn't good. Chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says this, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, 
but that you be made complete in the same mind, in the same judgment. Apparently, there's some divisions among the people at Corinth and they weren't agreeing, they were disagreeing. And, and Paul then explains, I've been informed concerning you by some brethren from Chloe's people, just as he heard through the grapevine what was taking place there in Corinth, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this. Here's the type of quarrels they're having in verse 12. That each one of you is saying, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. And then he concludes, you really have, has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Or he could say in the name of Cephas, or in the name of Apollos. I mean, what's causing all these divisions? And apparently they were lining up under their favorite teachers. And these were good men. I mean, none of these were like heretics or, or bad. Or they were all worthy to be followed. Think about the Apostle Paul. He established the church in Corinth. As a, a founding father really gave him much credibility there. Apollos also was a great preacher. It says in Acts 18, verse 24, that he was an eloquent man. A man who was mighty in the Scriptures. Worthy of being followed for sure. And Cephas is another name for Peter. He's the chief among the disciples. Surely he knew Jesus earthly as well as anybody else on the planet. And he was the one that God used to bring many, many people to himself. Thousands on the day of Pentecost. He had credibility. Some in Corinth then claimed to follow Christ. Which, of course, is the right answer and the right person to follow. However, I do sense that there is a, um, a, a little bit of a, an exclusion, a little bit of a, an attitude here. Well, we follow Jesus. As if Jesus then trumps everybody else. And He does but in a way that, oh, we're, we're right. Even to the disagreement, perhaps, of Paul, how he's leading, would even say, hey, we're following Jesus even if they're, they're wrong. I think the point of disagreement here wasn't these men weren't worthy to be followed or they were heretical, but it was the fact that they were, that they were following someone, just, just one person, to the fact that it was causing divisions among others. It's not wrong to follow a person. Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. But rather, I think what's happening is they're following one person and missing the core of the faith. And I say that because what Paul says repeatedly here in the first four chapters of, of Corinthians is things that just center upon the core of our faith in Jesus Christ. He says in chapter 1, verse 23, he says, we preach Christ crucified. Or he said in chapter 2, verse 2, we determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And for those who said, yeah, I'm following Jesus, my guess is they're following the lifestyle of Jesus, but missing His message. Just like liberals today, who pay so much attention to His life that they miss His death. And it's His death and His burial and His resurrection that is everything. That's what, that's what reconciles us to God. And that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He delivered as a first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. And then He rose again according to the Scriptures. And then He appeared then to many, many people alive and well. And I think those who followed Christ, chapter 1, verse 12, were following His life rather than really realizing His death and how crucial that was. But by the time we get to our text in chapter 3, verse 5, Paul's explaining the roles of these men in the life of the Corinthians. He said in verse 5, What's Apollos? What's Paul? We are servants through whom you believe. Paul's bringing them back to when they were first converted in Corinth. You can read in the, gospel, in, in the book of Acts about 
how exactly it came to be. Paul came into Corinth in Acts chapter 18. And he started with the Jews and then he, he preached to them and they rejected the message and went to the Gentiles and he stayed there for 18 months as the Word spread and grew. Paul really planted the church. Many came to faith through the words of Paul. And then in Acts chapter 19, verse 1, you see Apollos coming to Corinth. And he was a man who was mighty in the Scriptures, preaching, and certainly some of the Corinthians came to faith through his words as well. And certainly they grew in their faith through his words as well. And, and you can understand the loyalty. But Paul was the one that, that God used to convert me. And one says, oh, Apollos is the one who, who would God used to convert me. And then he had all these different factions in there, and probably even some back from Jerusalem had maybe moved to Corinth and said, I was on that day of Pentecost when all the people would, would gather, all the Jews would go back to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. Maybe they converted there, come back into the Corinth. And so they're all loyal to the one who brought the saving message of the Gospel of Christ to them. But Paul puts it straight. He says, Paul, Apollos, who are we? We're servants through whom you believed. See, Paul didn't lift himself up and say, oh, you all need to follow me. He didn't say, oh, no, go follow Apollos. He said, no, we're just servants who brought a message to you. And you believed. And that's my point here this morning. We ought to view ourselves when we talk about evangelism, talk about outreach as servants of the Gospel. That's what we are. We are really God's servants with a message that God may use to bring others to faith in Christ. In that way, we are like Paul. We are like Apollos. We as believers are the tools that God uses to bring others to Himself. And you need to know that this is by design. This hasn't just happened that we are the, the mouthpiece of God. No, when Jesus left the earth, He gave His disciple a mission. He said it in many different ways, uh, many different times. In fact, at the end of every single Gospel account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, He gives a, a mission for the disciples. And Matthew says it this way, as Darren read for us this morning. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Mark said it this way, Go into all the world and preach the Gospel to all creation. That's how Mark recorded it. Luke recorded it like this, It is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And John's account says it like this, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Every single Gospel ends up with this call of Jesus to say, you go out now and you spread this mission of mine. We have a message given to us by the King and a responsibility to deliver this message to the world. Now, there are some that argue that say, oh, well, these passages here, the Great Commission, that was just given to the disciples. And the responsibility to evangelize and speak to lost people, well, that's just to pastors and teachers and evangelists. That's what some say. They say, well, the rank and file member of churches aren't responsible for this. So that, that's not what they're called to. You have gifted men who are able to do that. And some, you can even look at 1 Corinthians 3 and say the same way. Well, see, Apollos and Paul, they are servants. They're the ones that God has sent to serve with this Gospel message. But... Even when we get down to verse 9, when, when he says, we, Paul and Apollos, we're fellow workers, but see, you're the field. You're not workers. We're the field. Well, to that I would say I don't, I don't believe it. 
I don't believe that Paul and Apollos were the only ones given the task of evangelism. Even in Corinth. At this time, Paul is not in Corinth. Apollos, very well. We know how much these guys circled around. Probably not there. So it's not just these men. And furthermore, when you look throughout all of history, people come to faith in Christ through all sorts of ways. Yes, some have come through evangelists, full-time evangelists, but many have come to, to know Christ through parents. Many have come to Christ through pastors, yes, but many have come to Christ through friends. I even know people who have come to Christ simply by reading the Bible. God doesn't always use leaders in the church. He uses us all. And we all have the responsibility to bring the Gospel to the world. Now, there's some with more giftedness and opportunity that God may grant greater fruitfulness, that's for sure. But all of us have the responsibility as we are servants of the Gospel. And I want you to think about this. There are, perhaps, probably, people in your life who you may be the only gospel witness that they know of. I mean, in our society today, in, uh, in America, where we, are, we really are a post-Christian nation, um, things are swaying. Um, you probably know someone, or several people, or many, who've never heard the gospel of Christ. And so who's going to tell them? It may be you who needs to tell them. They're not going to church. There's no pastor going to tell them. They're not listening to Christian radio. It's gone in Rockford anyway. Christian teaching, solid teachings, not here anymore. Who's going to tell them? Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe your family is all non-Christian except for you. You are the shining light. You may be the only voice in the world that has the Gospel that needs to bring it to them. And I don't think God's saying, well, it's only the pastors, only evangelists who have that responsibility. No, all of us have tentacles far that reach far broader than any of us can realize. So I would encourage you all to think about yourselves as servants of the Gospel. i got a message from the King that needs to get out. Now, I do believe this is a struggle for us. Any struggle with evangelism? Okay, I think every hand should probably raise. I'm going to give you a quote later that just shows how much we all struggle with that. But that's why I'm preaching this message. I think we all need to grow in this area. And, and I think there's a, there's a reason in some way why we at Rock Valley Bible Church struggle. Some of that is because we who come to know and love Christ have our eyes open to the spiritual realities of what's taken place in the world. And, and, and particularly for us, we've seen that it, our, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers of this world, against the, the powers, the world forces of darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And, and we've seen that, and so what we've done is we've seen, oh, the world is out there, and we've even sought to isolate ourselves from that. Right? We avoid sometimes, we come to Christ, our former friends who drag us into the world and we dive into the church and all of its activities. We cut off the bad movies and the bad television stations. We stay away from people with sinful lives. We stay away from the schools. And what we do, we homeschool our children and we keep them away from that. We stay in our holy huddles. As a result, here's the result of that. We often see those in the world as our enemies with whom we have a great hostility against them. When Paul, however, calls himself a servant, 
he was talking about a servant of those who are apart from Christ. When he came to those in Corinth, he viewed himself as a servant bringing the Gospel. Even though, yes, they were enemies of God. Even though, yes, they were haters of God. But Paul said that I was your servant who came. Now, I'm all for separating from the world, okay? I'm all for, for living a, a righteous life. And I'm all for creating a healthy distance between our lives and those of those outside the church. But, I do think that when our minds start to think of non-Christians as enemies, um, I think we can have a shift in our mind that comes across in our attitude of how we say things or how we love them or how we serve them. Think about when Jesus came into the world, whom did He serve? He served the tax gatherers and the sinners. He was called a friend of sinners. That's a very derogatory term. Oh, Jesus over there, He's a friend of sinners. It's like, you shouldn't be associating with those people. And Jesus said, though, listen, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but it's those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but I came to call the sinners to repentance. So let us be servants of the Gospel. Let us be servants to those who are outside of Christ. So I just say this. When you're out and about in the world... Um, if you have an opportunity to serve someone who doesn't know Christ, serve them. If we are servants, as it says here in verse 5, then serve them. Right? If you see your, your neighbor needing help with his lawn, maybe a tree goes down. Right? You'd be the first one with your chainsaw out there helping him. Or maybe there's uh, snow that you can help him with removing the snow. Go ahead and, and do that. When you're out and about, consider yourself a servant. Be courteous to others. Defer to others. Help others. Say please and thank you. And pray for opportunities then to tell others about Jesus. I heard this week uh, in my preparations listening to a message of a man who gave a, a message on evangelism. He was talking about how he was in a supermarket someplace and there was an older woman who, who needed help with the groceries. And uh, just kind of having a mind, I'm going to serve people. He said, ma'am, I'll help you. And so she, <coughs> he helped her bring our groceries out to the car, helped him put in the car. Where normally a worker does that, perhaps, because she was somebody, she says, I'll do that. And then when he finished helping her, he had an opportunity briefly to say why he helped her and to share the gospel with her. Just in a few moments, I, he didn't share exactly what he said, but just right there, right before the car, he could have explained something. I am a servant of Jesus Christ, and I just want to serve people as serving you with this. Do you realize that he, He's the one who came and loved and He died for your sins? Will you repent? Something simple like, I don't know exactly what He said, but, but there He was. He had a mindset that I'm out in the world, I'm serving others, and we'll see where God takes that. And I think that we can improve, we can have a heart to, to serve those in the world. That's an opportunity then to speak with them. So we are servants of the Gospel. Let us consider ourselves thus. Well, my second point then comes from verse 6. Verse 5 addresses who we are. We're servants. Verse 6 is addressed to what we do. We plant and water. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Here, this really gives us a great perspective of our duties to the unbelieving world. Our duties are to plant and to water, to throw seeds and to pour water. Note that our responsibility here is not to convert people. In fact, it even says that. That's God's job. God is the one who causes the growth. Our responsibility, rather, is to plant and to water. We'd be like the farmer, puts the seed in the ground, waters it, and then waits for God to grow. If the seed is good or the soil is good. And for those in Corinth, 
I said earlier, it looks like this. Paul was in Athens in Acts chapter 18, verse 1. It speaks about that, how he came to Corinth. And um, he was there. He was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath, trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. But there's a point where the Jews resisted and they even blasphemed. And he shook out his garment, said, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm clean now. I'll go to the Gentiles. And so he went to the Gentiles, went to this house of a man named Titius Justus. He was a worshiper of God whose home was right next to the synagogue. And then Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing in being baptized. So here he had the house right next to the synagogue. The man becomes a Christian. The leader of the synagogue, the man becomes a Christian. And if you know anything about the travels of Paul, particularly even in Acts, boy, his first missionary journey, Acts 13, Acts 14, and even in Acts 17, was in Thessalonica, is always the Jews are jealous and they, they arise and when Paul starts converting people and people start coming to Christ, then they're after him. And he's had to hightail it out of town several times. He thought about hightailing it now out of Corinth. But God said to him, by night, in a vision, do not be afraid any longer, Paul, but go on speaking and do not be silent. I mean, you can see why he's scared of speaking is because it was always caused the people to go after his head. He said, for I am with you, God says, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. There you see God causing the growth. He said, Paul, I know many places people have run you out of town, but I've got my special hand upon you now. They're not going to attack you. You're going to be safe here. And the reason is because I have many people in this city and the idea is that, Paul, I'm going to protect you and keep you here so the word can go out, so it can go out to the people in this city who God has called, He's got His fingers on them, but they need to hear through Paul so they can come to faith. That's God working. That's Paul planting Jews then the Gentiles and then God working. He spent 18 months teaching the Word of God among them. That's how it worked in Corinth. And for today... It looks like this. Uh, it looks like last Thursday. Uh, we recently have had a problem with our stove and our microwave. Our handle even came off of our microwave and didn't. And our stove is kind of old. And Yvonne's been talking about this. So um, I caved and said, okay, we can have a new stove and microwave. Thursday was delivery day. And so Yvonne and I were praying together in the morning. And uh, with our minds on outreach, I've been thinking about this message all week long. Um, I pray, I always pray first, and then she prays, and, and I'm listening to her prayer, and she's just praying that we might be able to share with the people who are coming in to deliver the stove, and that we might be able to speak the gospel with them, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking in my mind, yeah, that'd, that'd be really good, but okay, how's that going to happen? I'm not exactly sure, but we'll see how it goes, and uh, Thursday afternoon, the guys came by, Yvonne was out running errands, and uh, you know what God brings to my mind? It brings this prayer that we prayed in the morning. I like I want to answer prayer as best I can, and so I'm thinking, hmm, you know, I just really then praying on my mind, I'm praying for an opportunity with the gospel somehow. What what am I going to do? How am I going to reach these gentlemen with the gospel? And um, normally, when people come to my home, that's not my thoughts. Okay, but the the pressure this week is saying, hey, I'm preaching on outreach this week. Okay, I could do this. Um, the pressure of just kind of Avon's prayer in the morning said. All right, well, let me just try something. And so uh, I thought to engage them in conversation didn't go really well. And so basically what I did on the way out the door, I just handed them uh, some gospel tracts. And he said, here, this is for you to read. I mean, I think all of you can do that. I could do that. It wasn't a whole lot, but I just kind of said, here, you should take that. And I'm not sure 
what God might do with that. But I was planting a seed. And what I discerned from these gentlemen, I don't think they ever stepped foot in a church. Maybe in their life. Uh, it may be that I'm the only Christian witness they've had. I mean, I, I didn't censor their um, Christian people at all. But there was kind of a pressure of that. I just said, here you go. We'll just see what, what God does with it. And I won't know what God does with that. But I was thinking, you know what? If they have questions, they can always come back. They know where I live, at least. Um, but I was seeking to do something. And I'm just saying, I, I'm planting and watering. Just, just kind of putting things out there. Uh, really, bare minimum, an easy, attractive gospel tract to read. And, and with these people, it's like a hit and miss situation, a chance encounter. And you can do that with a lot of people. Just chance encounter, just give them something to read. Say, here, you, you, might, you might want this. I mean, when I came back from Nepal, uh, very interesting. I, I, got on the phone, I, I got on the plane, and I'm traveling from Kathmandu. We get on the plane at like 11.30 at night, and we're flying to Hong Kong. And I'm thinking about, I've got to write a sermon and on my plane, I'm going to write it from Hong Kong to Chicago. I need to sleep now is what I need to do. So I stopped. And I, I met one of the most interesting people in the world I've ever met. And we just talked. I had a chance to share the gospel with him for about two hours or so. And, and uh, then kind of the way out, I gave him the same track and just uh, said, here, what, why don't you read this? And he kind of read it for us right there in the plane. Read it for me right there in the plane because it's so short. And, uh, but we, we carried on. But that's a chance encounter. I got his email, so I did email him and just tried to get some response back so at least he knows who I am if he wants something. I've not heard back from him, but, but there's this chance, chance encounter. And you'll have lots of opportunities for chance encounters, hit and run evangelism, and that's just fine to do that. But you also have some long-term opportunities as well, particularly maybe where you live. And so I'm thinking about yesterday, Christmas Day. Yvonne cooked up some nice big cinnamon rolls and... Um, this is our habit. We went to our, our neighbors around Christmas, right, right around us. So one on the, I forget, one, one side and three on the other side. They're just our, our closest neighbors. We brought them a Christmas card, brought them a cinnamon roll to enjoy. And with the Christmas card, we included a little letter of our family and uh, just on there what, what, what things are going on there. We also took the picture of the church just to kind of give them. They've heard, all heard about church. Or they know I'm a pastor, but I think they're like, whoa, what's, they don't know exactly what it's about, but at least maybe your smiley faces might help them or something. I'm not exactly sure. Um, so we just kind of sent that. With kind of the new building, we thought that might be something good for them to hear, but we, we passed that on. Um, and we've done this for years. We've given them various different things. I remember last year we gave them a, a John Piper, even a, a bigger, thicker track. Sometimes we've just given a Christmas card, uh, sometimes a note, always with a treat. And we've done that probably eight or nine years since we've, we've lived there. And the curious thing is, they've never, ever brought anything to us. I'm not looking for anything for us, but just something that they don't do. We always go to the door and they're probably like, you know, ding dong, they hear their Christmas, oh, it must be those Brandons again, you know. And, but it was very interesting that... Um, this time, and the reason, the reason why we do that is just to, just to put forth for them that we are servants here, and we want to serve you and help you, and uh, just to be gracious to you as we are Christians, and you know, we've invited several of them to church before, and um, just sought to do what we can do, but just that's our, our attitude, the declaration that we are Christians and we are serving you. What was interesting though this year, more than any other year, they all invite us inside. That's rare, okay? We've been there, they haven't, but I think there's some credibility. It's a long-term deal, eight or nine years, kind of seeing them uh, all the way. But unfortunately, we had another family coming, 
former neighbors of ours, and so we, we kind of stepped in for a little bit to three of the houses and kind of chatted and talked. Wish we could have, but kind of made some promises. Hey, how about we get together this summer? It'd be really good. Maybe we'll, uh, you know, barbecue at our house or have you over for for dinner or something. And some of them said, yeah, we'd like to do that. So, but it's a, a long-term process with them. But all we're doing is we're planting and watering in the lives of, of our neighbors. Or it might look like this. We have uh, uh, connected with some people from Rockford College uh, with an exchange student. Uh, his name is Amor. He's a full-time student in Tan- from Tanzania. And uh, just by God's grace, um, we just connected with the dean of students there. And they just have some very few foreign exchange students there, but they have some host families for them. And so we've had this man over... We've met him once, had him over twice. Guys, is that right? We've had him over, I think, twice. One day, Thanksgiving, we, we picked him up and then went down to the Cal. He spent the whole day with us. My idea is we're going to Thanksgiving. We're eating anyway. Let's, let's join this guy in on that path. And our, our, our aim, the, the reason we're doing this is to bring the gospel to them. And beyond that, it's fun to learn about Tanzania. I don't know anything about Tanzania. And you learn about another culture. It helps expand our world. It helps give our, our kids a little bit different perspective. We've had lots of students before in the past always had a chance to share the gospel with him. But this is like a long-term, long-term relationship. We're going to invite him to church and hopefully maybe he'll come and, and show up here. That would be great. But all we're doing is planting and watering in lives of people. And I think one of the reasons why things are difficult is because you see so little fruit. I mean, we've done this kind of stuff for years and so little are open to the gospel. Um, but what, like, we can't give up. We just need to keep, keep doing what we can do. And these are just a few ways that, that I have sought to plant and water. Other of you have, have other ways in which you sought to plant and water uh, in the lives of other people. And, and I know my own, I need to increase in that. As I think about our efforts, I think I'm filled with far more evangelistic failures than evangelistic successes. So I'm not lifting myself up here this morning as someone who say, hey, look at how good an evangelist I am. I feel like we fail but, but these are efforts that we are making. And, and I would say that in some sense, um, since becoming a pastor, it's been much more difficult because you're our social circles where all of you even have maybe some unbelieving social circles. We've got to create artificially social circles of unbelievers. But I would encourage all of you, just think about who are the unbelievers in our life and, and go after them and seek to be real with them and find out ways to plant and water the gospel in your life. And I just say it takes work. It takes effort. It takes some intentionality. I mean, it's not just going to happen. I mean, you, you've got you to have an idea, you've got to have a plan, and you've got to carry out that plan. And I just say, I was talking to Yvonne about this last night, when it comes to delivering our Christmas goodies to our neighbors, it's always hard. It, it's, never, it's never easy. We think about putting packs together. That's a, a difficult thing to do when you start trying to organize the kids and then when it's cold outside, hey guys, let's all get up and you're know, walking outside. It's not an easy thing to do and it's always coming at a busy time. I mean, when is it easy Christmas time to really find a, a spare hour where you're going to go out or you get invited in? Uh, maybe longer than that. Having an exchange student at home isn't always the most convenient thing, but we figure, hey, we're eating anyway. We'll just take a, take a ride to the college and bring him back and, and that's not so bad. But I would just encourage you, find something you like to do. Find something you're already doing and engage with non-Christians in your life. And plant and water the Gospel in, in whatever ways you can. Now, I spoke earlier about how it's hard to reach out to people. I, I listened to a message this week from a, 
a man who's a pastor of evangelism, a church in Philadelphia. His name's uh, Jim Donahue. Um, and here's his perspective uh, about why evangelism is difficult. Listen to what he said. So I, I kind of wrote this down from, uh, from the sermon I listened to. I thought it was really good. He said this, The flesh is going to oppose you every time you do evangelism. The flesh is going to distract you every time that you go, even to invite someone to church. You're going to have a million excuses not to do it. You'll meet with opposition every time you go to share the Gospel. He says, I have a love-hate relationship with evangelism. At times I love evangelism. I'm on fire. I'm ready to talk. I'll talk to a tree if nobody's around. I'm just ready to go. And at other times I hate it. I'm scared of it. There are times I just want to run away. I just shrink away. So I have this love-hate relationship with evangelism. And this is what I found. He said, evangelism is all about overcoming the lies of the flesh and overcoming the fear of men. People think evangelism is for those who are gifted in evangelism. It's all natural for them. People say, oh, he's a natural at evangelism. It's easy for him. No, it's not. Every time I go to do evangelism or reach out or even invite someone out, there's resistance. There are doubts. My flesh is coming up and saying, maybe I shouldn't do this. I'm not really sure. They don't look like they're having a good decade. Maybe I should hold off. I don't think you know what you're doing. They don't seem open. There are people in line behind you. Just get out of here. Pull out. Pull out. Every time. That's what this guy says. He says, I've been doing evangelism since I've been saved 16 years ago. And every time there's resistance, every time. It's not just a matter of, hey, do this a lot and you'll become so natural you won't have any problem. No. So you know what I found? I found evangelism is learning to overcome the lies of the enemy and the fear of man and doing it anyway. That's what it is. That's what I've learned. I've simply learned how to overcome the lies in these areas. I've learned how to identify the lies of the flesh. And I've learned to combat the lies with truth. And the main truth that I use is Romans 10:14. How can they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And then after he said this quote, he then went on to explain about how there are times where he's got doubts. And he says, no, 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 no. How can they believe unless they've heard? And I need to get it to them so they hear. And so they really need to hear so they can believe. And he says persuades himself in those ways to get out there. And I was really encouraged because here's this guy who's a far greater evangelist than I am. Pastor of evangelism. He just thinks about this. He breathes this, th- this stuff. And um, he says he's scared to death many times when it happens. I know that I, I'm talking to people about Christ and my heart's going and my palms are sweaty. and it's, it's not an easy thing. It's hard. So let's learn to overcome the lies. Let's grow in boldness to speak with others. And so I just encourage you even to think about the spheres of influence that you have. I mean, the first sphere of parents who are here, you have a sphere of influence over your children. If you have children in your home, you have a ready audience for them. And I just encourage you to plant and water the Gospel with your children. Read to them. Bring them to church. Expose them to good things. Just, just get Bible in them. And then, since they live in close proximity to you, live a life before them worthy of the Gospel. Let them see your marriage with all its struggles and all its failures and let them say, I want a marriage like that and I want the God that produced that kind of marriage. Live the Gospel. Plant and water with your, your family. Well, church family, we have people right here. You can reach out to and plant and water as well. Other people coming and visiting the church? I just say, 
plant and water by visiting, by meeting, by greeting, by saying hello to people you don't know here at this church. Reach out to them. For someone to come to church, it's a fearful thing to come to a new church. I don't like going to new churches. Like, what are they going to think? You know, kind of, kind of incognito, sleeping in. I hope they don't, hope they don't make me stand up, or hope they don't. You know, it's just kind of like, whoa, I don't know. It's a fearful thing. And so you put yourself in their situation, them coming, new, perhaps visiting us. Help to do what you can calm to do. You can calm your fears. So when you see someone new, help them be comfortable at church. Um, last week, um, I, I happened to run out to my car because someone gave me something I put out in the car. So out in the freezing cold, a new family drove up. And so I kind of spoke with them and talked with them. And, and I, here's what really struck me. As we walked in the door, nobody was there to greet them. Okay? As we walked in the door, nobody was there helping them. So I showed them how to, whatever, your coat rack's here. They had a child. I said, okay, the nursery's down here. And kind of was around them. I walked them down the hall and just kind of helped show them another nursery, explaining our situation where we are. And you know what? We need to greet people more, and I think it's my fault. We need to get some greeters. We need to make it so that when people come here, they're welcome. And I would just encourage all of you, when you see new people, welcome them and greet them and say hi to them. That's a way to plant and water. You don't know their situation. They could be unbelievers off the street. They could be people that you know. The people of friends here, we don't know. But that's, that's where it starts. I mean, if you can't, if you can't do that, and just being friendly with people, I'm not sure what, but I would encourage you really to do that. Children, when you see other children come to church, boy, greet them and say hi to them and play with them and show them the ropes. At Rockford Christian, it was pretty nice. You'd take them to the gym. Here, take them downstairs or, or do something with them, kids. I really encourage you. No, and don't, never underestimate your power in bringing other families back to church. Because when they say, oh, you know, parents are there. But when the kids say, oh, I really like Rock Valley Bible Church, the kids there were so nice, and they brought me to play. These may be some of your greatest friends in the future, children. I just want to encourage you to engage just in your circle of influence, just with uh, people that walk in the door at Rock Valley Bible Church. I would encourage you also with inviting people to church. Invite people to church. And I think you can do this. We have business cards in the back table that we have produced. Uh, invite them. It's not very threatening, I've found. Even with a new building, I have found it incredibly easy to invite people. Um, just planting and watering. I mean, like, 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 for instance, one evening I was here with uh, Dirk and Ray, and uh, they were up on the scaffold getting those, those speakers. It doesn't look very high. It's, it's really high. Up there, they were getting those speakers up and going, and uh, while they were doing that, I was gopher boy. And so at one point, we needed a 50-foot elect, uh, uh, electrical cable, extension cable. So I went to Lowe's here, 173 and Alpine, and was trying to look for something, and Lowe's didn't quite have it, but so I was looking at maybe cutting, making a custom thing. I, I wasn't exactly sure, and so at one point, I asked somebody uh, what I was looking for, a 50-foot black extension cable, so we can kind of hide it, hide it back there. And um, so I was talking to him, and, and one thing she said, what's it for? Is it like inside or outside? <laughs> Open door. So I said, well, we're, we just bought a new church building just, just down the street. You know, it's, uh, it's a nice church building there. It's Rock Valley Bible Church. Just bought it. We meet for worship 10 a.m. Sunday morning. We come. We love to have you visit. But anyway, we're hanging these speakers, and I mean, <laughs> how easy was that? 
You just kind of slip it in there. It's kind of like I'm just, I'm just throwing stuff out there. And so think about his, his day. He's out there. He's like, oh, okay, this guy's weird. Or this guy's at least is a Christian. Or maybe, maybe some connection there. Hey, maybe they're a Christian or something. I'm not exactly sure. But it's, it's as easy as that. Um, you know, I think also of just inviting people. Uh, how effective it is for you all to invite those in your sphere of influence to perhaps come to church. So it's, a, it's a, a real easy thing. I mean, think about uh, we had Christmas Eve service here on Friday. And I just tell you, many, many friends of, and family came to that service. I'm guessing our crowd was about equivalent to what we have uh, right here, right now. And uh, many of the people who came don't know Christ. They're not. They're lost in their sins. They think they're their own king. They don't. They don't, they don't have Christ. Because I know, as I've talked to some of you, and I know the family situations of, of what's going on there. So I was, at, so I was pleased that so many non-Christians uh, kind of came in here and heard the gospel. Phil preached the gospel just very clearly, wonderfully. It was really wonderful for me. I didn't do anything that service. Kind of went through Ryan with the songs, but they did all the music, and Phil gave him kind of opportunity with the message, and he did that. We just kind of sat back and enjoyed it. It was great for us, great to raise up other leaders. It was really good. Um, but here's, here's what I want you to think about. We have this night, we sign out front here, and we put like this, it says still, we got to change it. It says December 24th, 5 p.m. Do you know how many people came because of that sign? <laughs> okay. That means nobody came because of the sign. Okay. Do you know how many people came because of a personal invitation from somebody to come join them in church? I counted up about 20. Maybe, maybe a little bit more from personal invitation from you all to family. Hey, why don't you come to this service? Um, it's, a great, it's a great opportunity we have. We can do other special services. And, and you know, we can um, do some other things, some community outreach events. Um, and I, I'm, I'm thinking particularly, though, of uh, like Easter. be a, a great event for us. Uh, maybe a, a great time where we can really get out in the neighborhoods here and just say, hey, here's where we are, Rock Valley Bible Church. And, and uh, maybe go to door-to-door to inf- uh, invite people. You might have an opportunity where your sphere of influence to invite people maybe from work or, or a neighborhood or something like that. And we can uh, organize some inviting efforts, and I hope to do so. I mean, especially as we approach Easter, we can get some flyers up, get it in the neighborhood, and just say, hey, it's a new start. Hey, we're a new church coming in Easter. We'd love to have you join for the Easter service. That would be a wonderful thing because people know about Easter. Maybe they don't know about Jesus, but they know something religious is coming on, and people can, can come here. In fact, I even have a pastor friend in Mount Morris who goes to the same church as Gordon Ruthie Bell. He's a youth pastor and says, boy, I'd love to get like our youth group up here to help you canvas some neighborhoods to invite some people. How cool is that? They come and help us. We've got to help them to get bold and be outreaching and we can invite people. Um, and I would say that we can do a lot. We can put out uh, many, many invitations. How many people are going to come from that? I'm not sure. Let me tell you a funny story one time. At Rockford Christian, we did some door-to-door inviting some people, and this was a long time ago. I'm guessing maybe six years ago, something like that. Maybe it's not so long ago. But we were going door-to-door and passing out all these flyers. And then SR, I'm not sure if you remember this, SR. SR was, was out there passing these flyers, and at one point his eyes got real big. He said, if all these people come, we're going to need a lot more chairs at the school. And I'm not sure we had any come, but it's still worth the effort to get out. Because I know that if you can invite a stranger, you can invite a friend. Uh, but even in terms of just 
church and reaching out and outreach, there's nothing more powerful than you inviting those you know to come and visit us. And that's a way that we can grow in outreach, kind of to do that. And so I do have a practical step for you this morning. You'll find in the pews, we put two of these in every pew, one per family. One, yeah, we, these are outreach New Testaments that we have purchased as a church. Once you take these, I have in here the Are You Good a Good Person track that I handed out to my installer friends. And that's really nice. This is our leftover from Halloween. These are what we handed out at Halloween. Just they're really, really good. And we also have some business cards in here to invite people to church. Right, here's what I want you to do. Here's my challenge to you is to share these things with people in your lives. So take a business card and how easy this is. You're at work. Hey, we got a new church building. Hey, you want to join us for church? Just, just boom, give this to them. Give them information about the church. Maybe then if you have some opportunity to speak with someone about spiritual things, you might say, hey, you might want to read this. Maybe we can talk about that. Okay? Um, and then with the Bible, you know, don't just kind of hand this out to anybody. But try to be strategic. Try to think about who's somebody maybe in your life that, that doesn't, doesn't really know. Maybe they don't have a Bible. Maybe there are only Bibles like a King James. This ESV is a good, great translation. This also, even if you look in the front of here, it, it's, it's like a resource. How to read the New Testament. Page VII. Page 7. Where to find help when you are, whatever, in trouble or discouraged or depressed. What the New Testament says about things. There's a little theology. gives you a Bible reading plan. gives a, a gospel message here. gives you a, a six-month reading plan. I want you to really think, at one per family, think about who would be strategic people to hand this out to. That's why they're on the pew. You take that. I just encourage you, as a, a step, just to, to say, you know what, God? I need to grow an outreach. Here's one thing. I just got... I've got these few things I need to hand out and give away. Well, regarding our reach as a church, I think there's some things we can do as a body. Uh, some have expressed interest in having a WANA program. I know Darcy has, has mentioned that. We can use this building for that. Um, I know just even last night I had an opportunity to speak with someone who uh, is, uh, I think she's employed with uh, Youth for Christ. And what they've done at several churches in the Rockford area, it's a really good idea. They have uh, like tutoring program. And basically you put up signs, say free tutoring, free tutoring, come call this number. And um, uh, what happens And the kids need tutoring, parents will bring their kids here and we have one-on-one kind of tutoring, feed them and give them a tutoring and then get back. And what happens, you get unsafe people kind of in your church. It's been an effective outreach, but it, it takes some manpower to do that, both Awana and that program, I'm not sure we can do both of those. I'm just throwing those out. Those are ideas of things that we could do to mobilize people to church, to increase outreach effectiveness. Um, also, with a Vacation Bible School, I mean, we are, we are very strategic here. Uh, Grace Reformed Baptist Church, for the first time, I, I, was, I, I was told, last summer did a Vacation Bible School. Did a very first time. And so, so we can kind of pick up on the momentum of that and do some. That will take some manpower. That will take a lot of manpower to do something like that, but invite kids, potentially just even, even in the neighborhood here, reaching around the, the church. Those are opportunities that we can do that. I can't do that alone. I mean, you can pay me, but I can't do that. We need help of everybody. If we're going to grow as an outreach-oriented church, we're going to grow in our outreach. Um, those are some things we need to do. So you just need to be thinking about that, praying about that. My heart's going to be that God might, God might stir us in our hearts with all these things with lots of energy. God may use them to grow the church as we just plant and water. That's what we're about. But I want to put the programs in perspective. Here's a, here's a quote from John Piper that speaks about programs. And that's why in some ways, I think the most valuable 
outreach isn't necessarily programmed so much. It's more just you with people. Uh, that's just real. Here's what Piper says. It's really good. He says, I do not become excited when denominations or churches react to their lack of growth by merely adding a new program. I know that the reason so few conversions are happening through my church, Piper says, is not because we lack a program or staff. It's because we do not love the lost and yearn for their salvation the way we should. And the reason we do not love them as we ought is because such love is a miracle that overcomes our selfish bent. It cannot be managed or maneuvered into existence. It is an astonishing miracle. Examine yourself. Does it lie within your power right now to weep over the spiritual destruction of the people in your street? Such tears come only through the profound work of God. If we want this work of God in our lives and our churches, there will be agonizing prayer that says, God, break my heart. And I choose the word agonizing carefully. It is the word Paul used in Romans 15.30. Now I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together. That is, soon agonizestai. Agonize with me. Together. Soon. Together agonize with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. And such agonizing together, Piper says, God may grant tears. And without those tears, we may shuffle members from church to church, but few people will pass from darkness to light. Do you catch what he's saying? He's saying, bottom line, if you want to be an outreach-oriented, you've got to have an outreach-oriented heart. It says, I want to reach out to other people. A program is, does some things, but it's fundamentally it's the heart, even behind any program that's being done, that wants to reach out to people with the light of the Gospel, the glory of Christ. Which actually leads nicely to my last point. We're servants of the Gospel, verse 5. We plant and water as we can, verse 6. And verse 7, God causes the growth. So then, he says, verse 7, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth, and I like to put here, is everything. Now, for those who think that evangelism is us doing our part and then God doing His part, um, like God, God needs us, so, so we do this, and then we do our half of the deal, and so God does His half of the deal. Paul is correcting that. No, she says that's not the picture of it at all. Rather, it's us planting and us watering, which is nothing. I mean, it's nothing. My, my handing out the track to the stove movers is nothing. Reaching out to this international student is nothing. Reaching out to our families, neighbors in the neighborhood is nothing. But rather, God who causes the growth is everything. In the New Testament, you can read, it's always, it's God that changes people. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again. God causes us to be born again to a living hope. When speaking to Nicodemus, oftentimes it's, it's misunderstood. People think that Jesus commanded Nicodemus, be born again, as if He could do that Himself. Jesus never told him be born again. You can't be born again by yourself. 
You, you can't do it. You're passive. You're passive the first time you're born. And you're passive the second time you're born. Listen to what Jesus says. Unless you are born again, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again to enter. But it's not in you, Nicodemus, to do it. It's God who caused the growth. He said, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from, where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. You can't control the wind. You can't control the Spirit. God controls the wind and God controls the Spirit. When the Spirit comes and changes soul, it's like being born all over again. Our eyes are opened. Our minds are opened. Hearts are opened. And it's all the work of God. God is the one that that opens our eyes to see the light of the Gospel, the glory of Christ, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. God is the one that opens a heart to believe. Remember a couple weeks ago, we, we looked at Lydia. God opened her heart to believe, Acts 16.14. God is the one that opens the minds to believe. That's why Paul says, 1 Corinthians 1.30, by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. It's by God's working that you're in Christ Jesus. Because watering and planting of Paul and Apollos is nothing. It's all God. God converts. God causes growth. So what does that mean? Bottom line, it means we need to pray. And we need to seek the One who has the power and strength to do those things. We need to plead with God to give life to those who are apart from Christ. We need to plead that God would move into their lives and would change them and transform them. And that He would use our watering and our planting in that process. Charles Spurgeon said it well. He said, the Holy Spirit will move by first moving you. Isn't that good? Yes. God, will you, whatever, my my father is without Christ. God, will you convert my father? And the Holy Spirit says, well, sure, I'm going to move you first to bring the message to them. Then I'll move there. Or your neighbors, agonizing in prayer, pleading to God, We'll grant salvation to Well, how's it going to do that? It's going to move through you first to get there. Because people can't believe unless they hear. And they can't hear unless you're sent, unless you go. So in God's plan to cause growth in the church, He moves us to have a heart to reach out and water and plant the lives of others. And I say at Rock Valley Bible Church, this is it's one of those areas where we are immature and need to grow. And um, may God give us the strength to do so. And may God give the growth at Rock Valley Bible Church. We're, we're so dependent upon Him. Um, we just need to pray for Him for the salvation of souls. Paul did that. Think about how earnestly Paul prayed when he prayed for the salvation of souls. Romans 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is for them and their salvation. That is the Jewish people and their salvation. I, I long for them to be saved. He says, I testify about them that they have a zeal for knowledge, but not in accordance with knowledge. Not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. He just explained they're lost. They're without Christ. And I have a, a zeal and a passion for them. And even he said back in chapter 9, I wish that I myself were cursed separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, or Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption, but they're unsaved. And Paul says, I, I, I wish I could spend eternity in hell and let them be in heaven. Talk about passion for prayer. 
That's how we need to pray. When was the last time you prayed that way? When was the last time I prayed that way? I, I think, the truth be known, that's my problem with evangelism. My weak prayers. And that may be your problem. It's just thinking you can do it on your own. Think it'll just happen. Rather than pleading to God that He would give us the strength to do those things. Well, let's pray. We will close our time this morning. Father, we reach out to people because we love them and long, O oh, oh Lord, for them to, to know the joy that we have known through loving and serving Jesus Christ. And I would pray, Lord, that You would help us at Rock Valley Bible Church just this transition to a new building that gives us a new hunger and new desire for outreach that we can hit, hit the ground this the spring running that we can have plans and that you would give us the strength um, to execute those plans, to plant and water in the lives of people. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would encourage us by giving growth. I know that for me that's one of the most discouraging things. When you plant and water, plant and water, plant and water, and the, the, hard, the ground is hard and seemingly few are interested and um, you put before them a joy, you put before them a life, you put before them the Word, you put before them anything you can, and there's the hardness. And God would pray that you'd encourage us with uh, uh, just fruit and effectiveness there, not, not, not even for, um, uh, for us, God, but for you and for your glory, and, and thereby encourage us in those ways that we would be on fire to to love, to serve, and to speak with other people. So, so give us mouths. God, our problem isn't that we don't know enough. Our problem is that we haven't been trained enough. Our problem is we don't open our mouths. And our problem is we don't pray passionately enough for you to stir in our hearts. So even think this week of how a prayer by my wife stirred me to action. Um, and we pray that you would stir us all. Maybe we create a culture here. It's always inviting and always encouraging to, to come enjoy what we have because what we have, O oh Lord, is very sweet. And we pray that we would just even be overcome by that, that we would speak with others. So you need to change our hearts. God, so I pray you would. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.